0: Walker Stapleton is Colorado's treasurer. Now, he wants to be governor. He's running for the Republican nomination. And he's our focus this time on who's going to govern. I met up with Stapleton on a recent Saturday at a Denver-area soccer field. He was cheering on his 10-year-old son, Craig, and talking policy.
1: There's going to be a lot of huge economic challenges that this state is going to face over the next couple of years. And yes, my son just got a goal. You must be lucky. (laughs) You must be lucky, Ryan.
0: Stapleton's family roots in Colorado go back four generations. He moved to Colorado from the East Coast in 2003. He's been involved in tech startups, was an investment banker, and led a real estate investment company. He says he's frustrated by the pace of government decision-making.
1: Well, if you're running a company, as as I was the CEO of a company, you make decisions and you score it again. Two goals. See, I'm going to throw my hat on the field if he gets a hat trick. In, in government, the analogy I draw is it's kind of like uh, being given a pickaxe and being told to, to uh, make a hole in a dam. Uh, and once you make that hole, the water can come rushing through, uh, but it takes a long time.
0: And Stapleton says he'd move faster and more decisively than the state's current governor, John Hickenlooper.
1: I want to be much more proactive and engaging in the legislative process. You have to be willing to expend capital in doing so and take a lot of arrows. But uh, that's what it means to me uh, to be the CEO of the state.
0: From CPR News, I'm Ryan Warner, and this is Who's Going to Govern? An opportunity to hear the candidates for Colorado governor on some of the biggest issues facing the state. Walker Stapleton joined me in the studio May 21st welcome to the program thanks for having me on Ryan what is the single greatest problem Colorado faces
1: and how would you solve it I think it's infrastructure I think everybody is impacted by traffic and anybody that wants to have more family time with loved ones anybody that wants to be more efficient in a professional context, has been impacted by our infrastructure problems in the state, which have really grown exponentially as the population has increased by more than a million people over the last decade.
0: There are a lot of potential solutions floating around. The legislature, first off, directed more money to transportation in this most recent session. And there's the possibility of ballot measures this election. There could be a sales tax increase on the ballot to pay for roads and transit, uh, there could be bonding. Do you support either of those proposals? I
1: support the bonding proposal. I do not support the sales tax proposal in its current form. I believe the department can and should do more. I believe we have dedicated sources of revenue in the general fund that we could and should be using for further bonding for our roads and infrastructure. And before you actually ask government to be an equal player or a large player in Spending when it comes to our infrastructure needs I believe Asking voters for a tax increase is the cart before the horse. And if you look, it it, it has not worked when it's been referred to the ballot. So. And,
0: and yet the request potentially for a sales tax increase for roads is not coming from government itself, but from the business community that says this is a priority. It's true. And what,
1: I, what is it that you see that they don't do? So, so last year I got in a, I would say, heated argument with Shailen Bott, who was the then head of the Department of Transportation, because he made a decision that he didn't have to go through The treasurer's office or through the legislature to make, which was that the department was going to spend $150 million on new offices for bureaucrats while the rest of us sat in traffic with our crumbling infrastructure. And I told him that that was misplaced priorities for the department. The department ended up spending $50 million uh, for our roads. And to me, Prioritizing $150 million for new offices for bureaucrats and $50 million for bonding for roads sent the wrong message. And that's why last year we didn't even get a referred ballot initiative for uh, our transportation needs. If you were to cut across all of our state agencies, just one anecdotal example, Ryan, if you were to cut. 10% 10% of executive overhead And by executive overhead, I meet everything From consultants uh, And there's plenty of them in state government, let me tell you To staplers, to paper To conferences that, that people Attend in all our departments, you would save Approximately $150 million on an Annual basis, and we have plenty Of money uh, in the general fund That we can and should be using for infrastructure Just
0: a couple of points, I'll say that CDOT at the time of requesting that money For its headquarters, said that It was a question of life and safety that the headquarters that they were in were deteriorating, there were accessibility issues, but to the broader point that you think there's a lot of savings to be had in government. If that's the case, don't you think Republicans who control one chamber of the legislature would have found that by now?
1: Well I would hope but there's you know there's some sources of revenue that we haven't even explored that that I believe we need to for instance I think that there is a lot of unchecked fraud and abuse with our medical marijuana system in Colorado we've issued uh, at, at a, I think at its heyday more than a hundred thousand medical marijuana cards uh, you can right now have up to 12 plants as a medical user and have a compassionate caregiver have the other 86 or so plants there's in some counties a 50 percent price disparity between medical and recreational Marijuana in some counties, it's more like thirty percent, but so, thirty to fifty percent. I'm just giving you an example. Is this an, this, so, this would is you a, like
0: to direct more people to recreational marijuana? No, which no is I would like to, to fix. Hire.
1: I would like to fix the fraud and abuse around medical marijuana, specifically there being a fifty percent price disparity and the fact that it's easier for an eighteen-year-old kid to get a medical marijuana card than that it is for her, her, him or her to get a six-pack of beer in today's Colorado. That makes absolutely no sense. Advils taxed. Some states tax prescription drugs. The Fed taxes. Prescription drug imports, this is a billion dollar plus industry that has a big state regulatory problem, and I believe if we fix it we will have significant more significantly excuse me more revenue that we can apply to our transportation needs. How would that money come in? In other words,
0: by raising taxes on medical?
1: Absolutely. 100 okay, percent. Or, or, or changing the license, the license process, uh, which is far too easy right now. There's a number of doctors that are in a class action lawsuit with the attorney general's office who you know, write medical prescriptions as fast as their uh, notepads will carry them.
0: Let's talk about education. Thousands of teachers demonstrated at the Capitol and elsewhere last month calling for higher pay. In Pueblo, teachers recently went on strike. Statewide salaries average about $52,000, roughly 15 percent below the national
1: average. It's much lower in some rural areas. Should Colorado teachers be paid more? I would love to find a way for Colorado teachers to be paid more the the analogy that I draw and all of us by the way have family and and friends that are teachers and teacher teaching I f- firmly believe is an undervalued profession not only in Colorado but nationally but we but we, we have to recognize we have structural flaws in education finance in the state that have to be fixed and the analogy I draw Ryan is that if you have three holes in the bottom of the bucket, and you keep telling people I need more water to pour into the bucket, but the bucket is empty. Every time you cross a room, you have to fix the three holes in the bottom of the bucket. And one of our biggest holes, by the way, and you and I have talked about this in the past, during my time as treasurer of Colorado is is our pension system, uh, which sucks uh, more than 20% of a teacher's salary uh, into backfilling obligations with a bankrupt retirement system and doesn't go to teacher salary and doesn't go in the classroom. And if you look uh, right now, I I believe CBS, uh, Sean Boyd at CBS did a report where she said each student in Colorado gets approximately $13,000 of funding. Uh, the average public school class is approximately uh, 25 students. That's more than $300,000 of, of, of funding uh, in the average public school class, $50,000, uh, which you just pointed out is about the average salary of a teacher. So that's $300,000 of funding, $50,000 for the teacher's salary. What happens to the other 250000 If you look At Colorado, what's happened to the expansion of education funding in Colorado, uh, the amount of teachers has grown by about 7 or 8%, uh, and and the amount of administrative overhead has grown by more than 20% in the last decade. I think that's a telltale sign that we have a problem with dollars that should be spent in the classroom not getting there.
0: Okay, and you say that uh, para, this is the state pension system, is
1: part of this. Absolutely. We, We have
0: to talk about the fact that the legislature passed a bill to shore up PARA, which had a $32 yes. billion dollar, uh, unfunded gap. That's correct. Uh, and it will ask state employees and teachers uh, and others to contribute more to shore the fund up. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the state will be contributing more over the next few years. Uh, I, I want to know... Give which is the, taxpayers,
1: by the way. The, which is taxpayers, <laughs> yes.
0: exactly. Yep. I-, I want you to give th- what the legislature did a grade.
1: Uh, I would give a it F. a C, a C, a solid a C. C, maybe a C plus.
0: There were reports that in the final hours of this debate, which came to the last days of session, that you were making calls to some Republicans in the legislature to kill the measure. Is no, that true?
1: Absolutely not. That is not true. And and uh, no Republican would ever tell you that because it's not true. I wanted to try and get the best deal possible. And until the last minute possible, I was not physically even at the legislature. I think I was asleep by the time they finally passed the deal, uh, which was, you know, 30 minutes prior to midnight. Uh, but I think that that it, it was a necessary step. And I think that the and I would and if I had been governor at the time, I would have I, and I, I, I would urge Governor Hickenlooper to sign uh, the bill, because the cost of not doing anything outweighs the cost of action in this case. And I can you know tell you exactly why, if you're interested. What is one thing you would have changed? What is one thing I would have changed? Uh-huh. I would have expanded the defined contribution option to the teachers, sort of because, teachers are, because teachers are portable with their professions. They, you know, go to Oklahoma, Nebraska, neighboring states, and they should be able to take their retirement contributions with them. Uh, and they're not able to. So that's just one thing I would change.
0: And it was actually some educators who opposed the idea of expanding that option for teachers. Uh, what, what is one more area of inefficiency or, or I don't know if the word is bloat that you see in terms of spending on education? Because what you're saying is there's a lot of money being spent per classroom, but right. it's not being done wisely. Quickly, so, give me one so, more example.
1: So I think administrative overhead and, and you're you're talking about the pension system. What's happening is school districts are robbing Peter to pay Paul. They're either freezing teacher salaries or cutting it by the amount that they have to contribute into the pension system in the back end. And so uh, teachers are actually suffering the impact of the pensions liability in today's real dollar uh, payment. And so you go back and, to Paris. Yeah, and I believe also that our 176 school districts, Ryan, should have line item transparency uh, for me as the treasurer of Colorado, but also, more importantly, for taxpayers and for people that care about our schools. And they don't have that right now. And we need to have that transparency and accountability in budgeting.
0: Line-item transparency would mean I could see what about my
1: school? You could see exactly where the dollars are going. You could figure out why if there's $325,000 per class in your particular school district, why if the teacher's only getting paid $50,000, where does the other money actually end up?
0: Would you have control over that as governor to, to make that happen? Absolutely. In in a local control 100%. state, you could yes, say that
1: absolutely, yes. And it all—it's all transparency and accountability you, you, and budgeting from law? the top.
0: You would pass a law to do that.
1: I would issue. I would find out. I'm not a lawyer, but I would, you know, if it took an executive order, I would uh, tell the director of education who who ran the Colorado Department of Education that he or she uh, would need to make this information readily available on our on on the website for all Coloradans to see. You support the uh, expansion of charter schools. Briefly tell me why. Well, you know. Uh, Tom Boseberg is I would consider a friend of mine. He's the he, superintendent he, of Denver yes, Public it, Schools. Denver Public Schools, our largest public school district. He is uh, he uh, is not a Republican, uh, but I have great respect for Tom. And Tom and I agree on two chief things. I think one is that the pension system has been an al- albatross around the neck of school budgets all across Colorado. And the second is it. Competition in public education works and tom has been a champion for charter schools and as a result There has been a significant proliferation of charter schools in the denver public school district I believe there's more teachers actually teaching in charter schools than uh, in public schools as of last year And uh, and I think um, that's a model that we should take across the state of colorado And I give tom great credit for doing that in denver's in our largest school district in colorado
0: I want to talk a bit about health care You've said you would dismantle Colorado's health exchange. That's a hallmark of Obamacare. So is the Medicaid expansion. If you're elected governor, would there be fewer Coloradans on Medicaid?
1: It's about one in four right now. I can tell you that there would be a managed Medicaid model. Right now, the exchange is not working as it should because we've had about a quarter of the people that, that we would have liked to have enrolled in the exchange that have actually enrolled. And the reason being is that there's nothing compelling people to enroll because you can get an employer plan with Cigna for the same cost or maybe even cheaper or more efficiently than actually joining the exchange. So there's no carrot there. We have, as you probably know, 14 of our 64 counties, mainly in Western Colorado, that have one choice of health care provider have seen their health care premiums increase by double digits over the last couple of years. There is there there are individual in Western Colorado that are paying more for home mortgages, uh, I mean, more for health care than they are for their home mortgages. I mean, that is an unsustainable model for health care in Colorado. And so what does here's mean, what I, manage Let me Medicaid. Tell you. Managed Medicaid means is that as the federal government proves itself more and more inept with a capital I at solving our health care needs, what I believe will happen, and I don't know if this is going to happen in six months or a year, they will wash their hands of this problem and they will return back to the states in the form of of grants, uh, money, and there will be a huge battle over whether to make that money retroactive to the Affordable Care Act, whether to make it inflation adjusted and and. Eventually, though, they will say to the governors at the state level, hey, you know, you can figure out the future of Medicaid expansion in your particular state, and you're going to have to figure out how to make this sustainable. And in Colorado, when I started as treasurer, the budget was $18 billion. Today, the budget uh, of the state of Colorado is nearing $30 billion, and Medicaid expansion and entitlement expansion are the two largest drivers of budget growth in our state. So, and if, so
0: if the federal government yeah. block grants Medicaid, yes. as, you, as you think it might, what would be your guiding principle for? distributing the, to the to to, in,
1: to improve access and affordability and a managed Medicaid model means the following. It means a proliferation of community health care centers. I've got three young kids and I've got a little clinic at King Supers across the street. When my kids get sick, uh, I, I joke that I need a lifetime supply of amoxicillin. I think my youngest daughter, Olivia, likes the pink bubblegum taste of this stuff. But I take my kids across the street to an RN and I pay 10 to $15 for a copay. The pharmacy is right there. If I took them to their pediatrician, Uh, I'd be paying four times as much And the insurance company would be billing me Six or seven times as much That is not a cost effective model If you go to Denver Health to the emergency room On a Friday night it looks like Grand Central Station And the reason is is because you have indigents there, you have people that have Medicaid, you have people that have private health insurance, you have uh, people that are seeking you know, shelter from the cold, and then you have the people that actually have the gunshots and the heart attacks and the emergency services. That is not an effective way of providing emergency care, and it's not effective from a care standpoint, and it's not effective from a cost standpoint either.
0: Do you think there would be fewer people on Medicaid then under this model? Uh,
1: there, th- I think. I-, I don't know about numbers. I think that the model would look different different, though. And different by that, I mean that everybody can't be filtered in the same funnel of care. There has to be a managed system where the people that actually are there for emergency services are there for emergency services. And some people that have Medicaid aren't going to be able to show up in the Denver Health emergency room.
0: You would just say they can't be there?
1: I would say, well, they can be there, but they're not going to be able to be treated there. They're going to have to because because quite frankly, there's some people that are there on a Friday night that don't have emergency level health 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 problems.
0: And so there would be a clinic that they would be. Sure.
1: And a community health clinic. And and also, I think we need to move to to plans uh, that are more affordable for younger people that are starting their careers and and millennials with higher deductibles, catastrophic health insurance. We need to get back to affordability for young people for health care plans because they can't afford it right now.
0: Your campaign has just placed its first TV ad with a claim that I'd like to explore. Yes,
1: please. I was the only treasurer in the country with the courage to support Donald Trump's tax cuts.
0: In fact, treasurers in Kentucky and Utah wrote op-eds in support. Missouri's treasurer went on uh, to Washington to lobby for it. So do you stand by that claim?
1: Absolutely. We, we we went off the official White House press release for the tax deal. And on that official White House press release, I was the only treasurer listed. And as I told... But that, but that doesn't as I told, say
0: that you are the only treasurer to support it.
1: But but we were the only treasurer listed. And I didn't have time. And I, I didn't actually care to go and poll my colleagues on a state-by-state basis as to whether they were supporting the tax plan, the semantics of whether I was the first treasurer in the country or, or one of the first or uh, not what's important. What's actually important is what the tax plan is going to do for Colorado. And under... I don't think it was President, the first name it was only. Well, the only, or one of the only. I mean one of the first for for sure. Uh, and and we took we took that information based on the press release. And I think uh, rather than the semantics of whether I was the only or one of the only, I think what's important is what the tax plan is going to do for Coloradans. And it's going to give 75% of the people in Colorado Colorado Colorado, uh, a tax cut. It's going to take a family that's making $60,000 and reduce their federal tax burden from $1,700 to approximately $100, and it's going to repeal the individual mandate uh, that the President, that the Obamacare uh, um, was at the heart of Obamacare. And last year in Colorado, there were approximately 130,000 Coloradans or so that had to pay a tax because they couldn't afford health insurance. And out of those 130,000 Coloradans, 80% of them have a household income of $50,000 or less. So the tax plan is going to give relief to all those people. So the semantics of whether I was the only or one of the only or the first or one of the first is it is to me uh, not significant.
0: I think it's a question of whether you do your homework and whether you say what's right.
1: Well, we did do our homework because we took it off the White House press release. So Uh,
0: I want to ask you about where you stand with the Trump administration on immigration. Is there anything you disagree with the President about when it comes to that issue?
1: Well, I think immigration is a federal issue and needs to be dealt with by the federal government where and, do you, where do and, you... and so and so uh, if you 'll if let me finish here and so my uh, differences um, are that I care to focus on what I can do as the Governor of the State at the state level to deal with illegal immigration, and I think the heart. Uh, of the matter from a, from a state level is our problem with sanctuary cities in Colorado, specifically in Denver. And I would do everything I can to prevent uh, sanctuary cities from cropping up in the state of Colorado because I think it's important that the governor uh, have the back of law enforcement. And by, by that, I mean the sheriffs and DAs that are on the front lines trying to keep our communities safe. It is unconscionable to me how somebody who has committed a crime as an illegal alien, specifically a felony, can be treated with more rights and protections than a law abiding U.S. citizen.
0: Is there anywhere you disagree with President Trump in terms of the immigration issue federally?
1: Well, I mean, I'm not I'm not um, I'm going to pay attention to the sanctuary city issue. I'm not able as governor to do anything about about the federal government not being able to solve uh, immigration problems. So I'm interested in actual. Practically applying what I can do with the, in the state of Colorado to make our community safer, not the federal government, you know, n- being unable consistently for years to solve immigration. Do
0: you like the wall?
1: I, th- I like border security, and I think the wall do- has become a euphemism for border security. Do you like
0: the wall itself?
1: I like more I like enhanced border security and if you look at what President Trump proposed he 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 uh, he said that he would um that he would give you know legal status to uh well over a million uh daca recipients in order in 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 exchange for enhanced border security and and that couldn't that didn't get passed by the federal government unfortunately
0: as you know there was another mass shooting at a school last week in Texas 10 people died here in Colorado, the legislature just defeated a so-called red flag warning bill. It would have prevented people who are a risk to themselves or others from having a gun. Do you support that idea very briefly?
1: I support the concept and I support the spirit of the legislation, but I would not have supported that particular piece of legislation because of the arbitrary way in which due process was actually carried out. and. In my experience as being treasurer, I've never seen a bill that's been rushed through and introduced in the last 10 days uh, that has been well thought out and well conceived. And I think this this bill, from a due process standpoint, was ill-conceived. What did it need? So it needed a, a a more thorough process where w- already there's a process in place where county attorneys can adjudicate uh, through the legal process somebody who is mentally ill, and I I, I preferred uh, Senate Bill 270, which is now sitting on Governor Hickenlooper's desk. A a a bipartisan product uh, that actually will enhance mental health services uh, and actually hopefully enhance reporting as well um, that is a more um, holistic approach uh, to mental health uh, than simply empowering people um, sometimes on an arbitrary basis to um, to take somebody's uh, guns and there was no remediation for false claims or uh, or or anything like that and there so were several check-ins with the judge I'll say that that uh, well the 182 waiting period I think was arbitrary in the bill so
0: thank you for your time yes it's run out so quickly
1: I appreciate it
0: Republican Walker Stapleton is running for governor listen to all the major party candidates right here on Who's Gonna Govern a podcast from CPR News next time Democrat Jared Polis who'd like to leave Congress and run the state our music is composed by Scott Holmes thanks to producer Michelle P. Fulcher and to Michael Hughes audio engineer extraordinaire I'm Ryan Warner, CPR News.